Welcome to Parallax by Anka Kalra, a podcast produced by Radcliffe Cardiology to bring you a new angle of all things cardiology and the best from the US Cardiology Review. Published every second Monday, Anka Kalra, MD, interventional cardiologist at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio, USA, speaks with legendary cardiologists, reviews late-breaking trials, and interviews authors of our latest and best US cardiology review articles. We call them hashtag audio articles. Parallax is the effect whereby the position or direction of an object appears to differ when viewed from different positions. So this podcast is your fix of reliable updates on all things cardiology by someone from a non-traditional background who is always looking at the industry from a new angle. Now, here's your host, Anka Kalra, MD. Hello, everyone. I have the honor and privilege of having with me a very special guest today, I've known her in person. Uh, she's helped me out tremendously over this past year. Um, her name is uh, Kavita Chinayan. Uh, Dr. Chinayan is a cardiologist uh, at Beaumont in Royal Oak, Michigan. She's also um, an author of two exceptional books. Uh, you, you know, one is uh, Shakti Rising. I think this is the second book that came recently. Uh, and then the first one uh, is the, the Heart of Wellness. So it's my absolute honor and privilege to welcome on the show, Dr. Chinayan Kavita, welcome. Thank you so much, Ankur, for your kind, kind introduction. Um, yes, I mean, you know, we've um, talked uh, a lot about, um, you know, burnout, um, you know, off the record, uh, as you know, and, you know, I sort of reached out to you uh, last year when, you know, I was dealing with a lot of turmoil um, in, in my life. And, you know, I've, I started, uh, following, uh, your practices of meditation, which, you know, have helped me tremendously. Um, and I think, you know, if you think about, uh, our professional lives and our personal lives broadly, you know, I feel meditation is something which, you know, in the, at least in the generation that I'm in, uh, and, you know, if, I mean, I think I may be a, a senior, quote-unquote, millennial, but at least in the millennials is, is completely absent. I mean, the, the concept is lacking, and, uh, you know, also the concept of mindfulness is lacking. And, and that's that's where I think burnout is becoming such an issue. Um, but maybe it, it applies to all of us as broadly and, and, and vastly. So, um, you know, thank you for coming um, on the show and, um, you know, agreeing to discuss these topics which have become very relevant you know on a global scale um yeah and and i would like to start the conversation by having you uh, discuss you know just the broad issues of burnout you know what do you think are, sure. are the causes of burnout and and what is exactly burnout yeah yeah and um thank you for sharing your experience because you know i, I do think that um being even being vulnerable enough to to discuss our personal issues around burnout is, is really a sign of strength and we don't see it that way. But we'll talk more about that later. But coming back to what is burnout really, you know, and um, and it, it's really a, a syndrome of psychological and emotional issues that emerge um, because of this prolonged exposure to stress. And it's stress 
related to our job, which is doctoring, you know, medicine. And um, so it, it has, you know, the syndrome has this uh, conglomeration of symptoms, including exhaustion and uh, this feeling of, you know, being detached from what we do. Um, a lot of cynicism, as well as you know, this pervasive sense of not accomplishing enough, of not being effective enough. So when we take all of this together, um, you know, in various combinations, then that is the definition of burnout. And um, and although we are specifically talking about burnout in medicine and specifically cardiology. This is a pervasive societal issue. You know, it's not that other fields are actually um, exempt from burnout because, you know, this is a societal issue. It's a cultural and social issue rather than a medicine-specific issue, if that makes sense. So it is really stress. You know, that is the fundamental uh, reason for burnout. Yes, you know, I, I think you've explained it um, very eloquently. You've described it very, you know, the, the way you've described this is, is very relevant to how, you know, it may be perceived at work um, and also in our personal lives. Um, yeah. And, and I sort of want to get to the, the root cause analysis of, you know, what is happening in our work environments. You know, what do you think is happening um, in places where we go to work every day, is there a disconnect amongst colleagues? Is there a sense of competition amongst colleagues, which is not healthy? I mean, a competition should be very healthy. And I think healthy competition is uh, what paves, um, you know, the path for, uh, you know, discovery and, you know, refinement of um, not only, um, you know, technology and, and science, you know, but also, you know, different workflows. So, you know, I think uh, healthy competition is, is important. It's, it's important for a continued refinement. But, you know, on the other hand, you know, competition could also be a very negative uh, emotion. You know, it could be perceived very negatively. It could be uh, disseminated very negatively. Um, it, do you think uh, how we're interacting amongst one another at work uh, has has something to do with with burnout because you know I, I, as i was preparing for this conversation I, I did a quick search of the national medical library to see mm-hmm. you know when burnout started appearing uh, as a term in the medical literature and you know mm-hmm. this this sort of dates back to you know at least in in pathology and radiology like all the way back to the 70s um, yeah. but you don't see burnout sort of becoming a phenomenon that it has become until perhaps, you know, the past 10 years. I mean, the past 10 years, there's been a surge in the term burnout. There's been a lot of, you know, medical literature on burnout. So I'm sure, I mean, medicine has been practiced for for decades. Um, And is it something that we are doing, the millennials are doing, or is it something that the the current physicians in 2019 are doing, which is different than what, you know, our colleagues or our seniors were doing, you know, back in the 70s and the 80s? Yeah, you know, that's such a good point, right? Because um, 
when we look at how medicine uh, is practiced now, even since the time I have graduated, things have changed so much. And that's just in the last 15 years. And, um, and even, even more so in, you know, in the last few decades. And it's, it's primarily, you know, a few different things that, that we can potentially point a finger at and say, well, these are probably the causes for burnout. There are two broad issues here. One is the systems issue. You know, just this, this whole system in which we practice medicine. That is one broader issue. And then the, the second aspect of it is the individual issue. Of course, they are both connected because the system is made up of individuals and we are those, we are the system. However, the system, when I say system versus individual, the system is, is composed of things that are beyond our control, you know, as individuals. And that has to do with the changing landscape of healthcare, which is um, a loss of autonomy. In, in terms of what we can do um, with patient care, for instance, um, it's being told what we can do and all the regulations around whether it is around testing or prescribing or being really worried about litigation because a lot of us practice uh, and we are taught to and we are expected to and it is a um, it's something we need to do, which is defensive medicine. And, you know, in, in, um, in societies where there is a risk of litigation, we tend to practice medicine not simply for the joy of it, right? Not simply driven by the joy of the human connection we have with another patient, with another human being, and the, the joy of being able to contribute and serve, which is what brought us to medicine in the first place. So instead, once you know, we have we innately all of us in medicine, most of us in medicine, um, have this innate desire to serve and to do good for society and to contribute in in these meaningful ways. I mean, think about it. Uh, who in their right mind wants to go through decades of training to be a specialist? I agree. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. if, if nobody in their right mind wants to do that, if they're thinking <clears throat> that's the career path, particularly if, because it's not all fields in medicine uh, are where you make a lot of money. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not we are not driven, but we are driven by this wanting to give our, ourselves. And when we think about what is it that we want to give our, ourselves, it is fundamental human connection. Mm -hmm. We really want to connect with with others because we have that empathy and that and that really the flowing of that wanting to be of service. And then we come into a system where we can't do that, right? And we are we have to operate under all of these restrictions, despite the fact that we have spent decades in training and have given up our own. Uh, freedom, and we've made so many sacrifices and stayed up all night and calls and, and all this, the brutality of the training of medicine, right? So there is a fundamental kind of a um, mismatch between what we've put in uh, versus what we can actually do. And so the dream, the original dream that sent us on this path feels like it's 
fragmented. It's like, and so we become cynical, right? Because it's it's not the way we were hoping it would be. And, and that is because of, because of all these restrictions from the system, which is, is the, you know, the hospital administration or whatever it is that, that control and the, you know, the uh, third party payers and then the, um, and the regulations and so on that restrict us from actually providing the care we want to provide. And that is now being called moral injury in medicine. And, um, I think that's a huge part of it that leads to over time. And, you know, even I'm sure you can relate and I can also feel this is when we first graduate from training, that enthusiasm and the joy we have for practicing medicine starts kind of waning as we have been in practice for a few decades because then the reality hits us, right? And, and so there is, a lot of that that contributes to this the sense of disconnect from our original dream of being a doctor. So I think that's a huge part of it. And um, and then you know what happens? What has happened in medicine, unfortunately? I mean, you and I both go to a lot of the you know meetings, right? The national and international sure. and local <laughs> statewide meetings. Sure. So. When you go to these meetings, what is it that we talk about when we talk about patients? It's day in and day out of data, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's all about data, right? It, um, this is this paper showed this, and this study showed this. Nobody is really talking about the human aspect of medicine. Mm-hmm. So we come back from these meetings, and then we are face to face with the patients, and we realize, well, oh wait. This is not data. This is actually a human being here, right? So it's become what has happened, you know, in our in our pursuits, which is a very noble pursuit of evidence-based medicine, is that we have forgotten, we have kind of left behind the human aspect of medicine, the art of medicine. Mm-hmm. At no meeting that I go to, do I have I heard anyone talk about you know the the fundamental human the qualities that bring us to this you know field in the first place love and compassion and gratitude and all these things that make the field so worthwhile nobody's talking about that we are only talking about data and but we are not we are humans right and we don't operate just on the intellectual level and so there's a huge disconnect between what we are taught to do and how we are we are innately, which is, you know, we are complex beings of emotions and, and you know, um, a mind and relationships and all of that. And somehow we push all that aside and we've made it so sterile that we ourselves can't take it. You know, there's a fundamental disconnect there between who we are and what we are taught that medicine is. So I think that is a big part of um, the burnout too. And um, as you were saying, it is this insane competitiveness. It is over competitiveness. I, I completely agree that competition is very healthy. It drives us to excellence and it drives us to fulfill our potential. But there is a fine line between 
healthy competition and insane competition, right? And um, you you have a young child and um, I have children who are in high school. And let me tell you, just getting into college, you would think is like going to Mars. It is that that insanely competitive. It's um, needlessly competitive. It, you know, uh, secondary education should not have to be so competitive, as an example. And um, just getting into medical school, getting into residency, and then even after we have graduated, there is this um it, it you know it it's this competition to stay on top if we are in academic medicine we need to be constantly producing and publishing papers if you're in clinical medicine you constantly need to be meeting your rvus so it never ends right it never ends where we can stop proving ourselves and take a you know take a deep breath <laughs> so um there is that too Yes, you know. What do you think? Uh, yeah, no, no. I, you've you've touched upon you know several very important topics. Um, you know, in, in and in part, I think there is a there is a paper in review. So I, I can't talk much about it, but there is a paper in review which I authored with um, you know one of m- my colleagues. Uh, you know, he's also on the um, editorial board for Radcliffe Cardiology's Dr. Narang uh, at Northwestern University. And you know what uh-huh. we, what we've discussed. Uh, we're both in the early career phase of our of our careers, and you know what we've discussed is um, the, the paper's titled Schadenfreude, which um, is um, actually a, a German term. It's a German word, um, and you know what it what it entails, or you know what it uh, and um, means essentially is that you take uh, pleasure or you take joy in the misery of others. And, mm. uh, you know, it's, it's a complex emotion. If you think of it, you know, if, if you think of what I've just described, you know, you'd be like, you know, something's wrong with this person. Why would someone else take joy in someone else's misery? Uh, but it's, it's, it's a complex emotion of envy and jealousy. And, you know, what we both feel and, and think is that it's, it's, it's prevalent in medicine. Uh, and, yeah. um, and it's, it's it's sort of delivered to you in a very subtle way, in a subtle fashion. You you, you want to you know question it. You want to doubt it because uh, you know you, you want good for everyone. As a physician, you know, like you said, you know, physicians um, embody the the emotions of love, empathy, and compassion. And you know, as much as these words are being thrown around, um, you know, in the in the lay press or in the uh, in the medical literature, you know, it's it's compassion and empathy are are two words which I feel uh, you know you really have to start practicing them or else you can just say them for saying them, but not really realize what they actually really mean. Um, yeah, and so you know, on on one hand, there's empathy and there's compassion and there's love, and then on the on the other hand. There is uh, Schadenfreude, which you know is is something that we've written about, uh, but but it gets down to the point of being competitive in a negative way. Um, yeah. And you know what what you said is um, is is of importance, of significant importance here. But before I get to my next question, I, I do want to explore uh, this concept of Schadenfreude with you. 
um, you know, because, you know, you obviously um, are, are a practicing cardiologist in an academic environment. And, you know, like you said, whether it's, it's clinical medicine or academic medicine, it's either uh, production of relative value units or it's production of publications or papers. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's metrics after metrics after metrics without actually looking into the human aspect of, um, of the physician well-being. Um, so yeah. before I get into how can we balance the um, insane competitiveness in our work environments with resilience, you know, I, I do want you to discuss a little bit about schadenfreude. What do you think about this, this term? And, you know, if you think if it's relevant at all at the first place. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, think, I think it is time that we talked about this. Um, you know, I'll, what I think is the fundamental problem is that we assume that just because somebody comes into medicine or that they have been accepted to medical school and then they go through years of training, we just assume that they are uh, psychologically and emotionally perfectly well adjusted. And that's not true. Mm -hmm. You know, that's absolutely not true because, you know, if we are driven by a fundamental sense of not being enough, which is 100% of us, mm -hmm. um, we come to this with wanting to prove ourselves in various ways, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and as an example, you know, I, I was born and raised in India mm -hmm. and, um, when I first came to this country, I heard this term, number one. Somebody told me, somebody gave me advice uh, when I was in residency or uh, first year of fellowship saying, you should look out for number one. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know what that meant. Mm -hmm. I had to ask, what does that mean? You know, who, what is number one? And yeah. um, so this is this individualistic way of being, right? Which is... Um, there is room on the top for one, and I need to be that one. It is this, um, and I need to be there at all costs, no matter who is pushed back in that process. And, and so there is a lot of emotional and psychological kinds of games we play with ourselves and with others, and we don't realize that because we have never been taught in our primary or secondary education about being really emotionally well-adjusted. Very mm -hmm. few of us actually even understand how the human mind works, especially our own, right? We haven't had the interest or the ability to look at our own minds and look at our own, you know, non-serving pattern. So we don't do that. And so, and, and we don't do that. And it's kind of normalized. Everybody in this society is doing that, looking out for number one. So it should be a normal thing where I'm also looking out for number one. Whereas, that's, whereas you know, when we approach something with this attitude of um, this extreme individualism where I need to be successful, well, we, there is this issue of defining success, which we can talk about later, but that is what leads to this whole thing of this undercurrent of envy and undercurrent of this, um, you know, this kind of resentment and, um, and this 
of course, and all of this is driven by that fundamental sense of lack that has never been resolved. And so it, it, it just is a whole, um, you know, it's like a cauldron of various things that are going on within our own internal landscape that we don't even pay attention to. So what you're saying is absolutely right, absolutely true. And we see this also like in our professional organizations, right? It's very clicky. Don't you feel that? Yes, it's I do. Like, uh, mm-hmm. there is an, yeah, there's an inner circle. And, um, and that inner circle gets to make all these decisions about whatever it may be, whether it is, you know, how the field should be moving forward or what, you know, what regulations we should be fighting for or who should be part of that inner cycle in that inner circle, right? So all of that is driven by this fundamental sense of lack, and we just don't understand that. But what is important to realize is that this is, it's not specific to anybody. This is just the function of being human. And all we need to do is really look at all of these complex psychological issues within us, because unless we are willing to do that, we can't really understand our own minds and it just leads to more and more stress because you're always going to find. And, you know, I don't know if you if you uh, ever heard this in India, but, you know, when I was growing up um, and, you know, I, I used to hear this all the time from older relatives that would say, you know, there's always going to be somebody better than you. Yep. And <laughs> there's always going to be somebody who's going to be behind you. So, um, you know, keep grounded and uh, don't don't chase after that so much. And um, and my dad sat me down when I was um, thinking about going to medical school and grilled me. And he said, why do you want to go into medicine? I want to know. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you're not going to, if, you, if, if serving, uh, you know, without self uh, self-serving desires is not your intention. I don't want you to be going to med school. If you think you can make more money or you can gain fame or you can get notoriety, this is not the field for you. There are other fields. And um, he said, you're going to be exhausted. You're, it's going to be too much for you. Are you. Do you think you can do it? And so I think that's the kind of advice and conversation we need to have with um you know, our younger colleagues and, and really, uh, you know, help understand this, this complex, you know, uh, psycho, cultural, social kind of uh, a um, matrix that gives rise to this burnout, because it's a very complex issue, right? There isn't one thing that causes burnout. It's this whole, you know, whole messy uh, combination of things. Yeah, no, no, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, you know, so, so I was born and raised in India as well. And it's, it's, it's fascinating that you bring up points um, on discussions like there's always going to be better. There's always going to be someone better than yourself. And, you know, that was something that I was always told by my parents. So, you know, they actually said that the only person that you compete with is yourself, right? Because, yeah. you know, each time you want to do something, you want to do something um, to better yourself, um, keeping yourself as the benchmark and then becoming a bench, becoming a new benchmark for yourself each time you want to do something, uh, something more or something new or something different. 
because you know if you start comparing or if you start competing externally um you would always remain unhappy because there's always going to be someone better coming to your coming back to your point yeah. uh, <laughs> and you know and then you really have to be mindful about what you are trying to achieve like what is your goal what is your mission and where do you want to get to after all this competition because you know you really at the end you know is all everything is in your mind everything is a function of your thought and everything is a function of your mind and yeah. if you cannot be mindful and thoughtful of who you want to be and where you want to get to um then you know the, this entire exercise is pointless is worthless and um you know in in bettering yourself and in refining yourself and in making yourself as the benchmark uh you know the hope is that one day you will find yourself um you know which uh, you know i'm i'm going to i think would be a, would be a good um sort of ending um discussion for just uh, this uh, this concept uh, and going on to resilience is how how in the midst of competition and envy and you know schadenfreude if you will you know some people think that it does not exist um some people you know obviously you and me are in that category who think that it does exist um yeah how, how do you then um you know nurture resilience because you know i think resilience is so important in in surviving the current you know healthcare environment um yeah how do you how do you nurture resilience um as a habit um and as as something that you practice on a day to day basis is you know finding joy and finding identity outside of your work maybe perhaps is how i think of it but you know we'll we'll let we'll we'll um obviously um uh, see see what you have to say on this yeah absolutely you know i think we should we should um define what resilience is which is the the ability to withstand um threats that are that can um be that can seem like they're going to impinge upon our well-being and and so when we say resilience it is it's really dependent on so many you know these adaptive mechanisms to stress right so the stress is a perceived threat to well-being which is beyond our capacity to cope and so you can you can imagine that for for one person being stuck in traffic is very stressful and whereas um for somebody else um it is it's nothing and even being in a very difficult situation such as war is is okay it, it they have the ability to handle that so it stress has nothing to do with the external factor right stress is everything about whether we have the capacity to deal with these threats to our well-being or not mm-hmm. and um and so the the resilience you know it is really an adaptive mechanism and it depends on various things it depends on our stage of development so if we are if we have had severe trauma in our early childhood years and if we have really a maladjusted personality then we tend to be more stressed and have more of these um experiences of stress um 
So there's that stage of development. It's, and we also have the influence of society and culture. And, and so, and, and it's, what is really important in, in, with regard to burnout in this aspect is it's not that we are not physically capable, right? I mean, look at our positions. We have a whole lot of resilience in many ways. I mean, we have gone through years of training and difficult years of training, right? And stuff that most other people would find stressful. Like when you are dealing with really sick patients and, and all that, it's, we have dealt with all of that. So it's not that we don't have the resilience um, already. We do. Um, but it, it really has to do with the unseen aspects of resilience that we lack, which is we are kind of, you know, we are taught to build this persona that is like feel. Don't get emotionally involved. Stay a little bit far away from all of that. And, um, you know, you, you just need to toughen up. That's what we are taught to, right? In our medical school training and mm-hmm. in our entire medical training, we are taught to toughen up and not be vulnerable. And so that becomes our default kind of a thing in the way we practice medicine. So you see how that's a cultural influence of medicine in resilience, right? And of course, in, in regards to resilience, there's also the intensity of the stressor. I mean, for any, for some people, even though they are very resilient, it can be too much, which is exactly what is happening in burnout, right? Even though we have spent so many years in tough training, now this external situation is too much to handle because that resilience that we thought we had was really an it was kind of like a superficial toughening up rather than working towards the core, <laughs> you know, which uh, which has to do with everything that you were saying earlier, which is this mindfulness and this in the sweetness and the joyfulness and uh, importantly inclusivity. If we think that I'm the I am self-made and I am going to be on the top of this uh, you know mountain of elitism. And um, I have so many papers. I am so wonderful. Then we are always going to have, you know, situations where we are shown that um, that is not the case, that there is something else that needs to be developed and that it can become like a huge stressor. So, um, so how do we build resilience? And, you know, I'm a meditation teacher, so I'm biased because um, I teach it, I practice it, and it has been uh, life-changing for me and, you know, everybody that I teach uh, meditation to. So um, it, it's something I recommend very, very highly. And, um, and also is changing our language and the way we think about certain things, right? For instance, self-worth. I was thinking about this today. You know, uh, think about how we say um, with regard to, you know, uh, famous people or rich people. Um, so-and-so is worth so many million dollars or billion mm-hmm. or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. So we are equating worth with that. You know, we are equating worth with what you have rather than what you are. So it is this language that we use on a day-to-day basis that makes all the difference, right? Because oh, does that mean that if you don't have that, you're worth nothing? So, um, but even though we don't think that, 
language defines how we think about things. So I agree. Um, <laughs> I agree. So there's yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I, so, you know, I, you've, you've obviously touched upon meditation, which I think, um, you know, so for the, for the listeners, uh, uh, we're doing a mini series on burnout and, and resilience and how to practice mindfulness with, with Kavita. And, you know, this would be a conversation for the next episode. Um, you know, but, but, you know, what you said is, is very important. And I just want to reiterate that language and how we have conversations, you know, not only with, with peers and, and family members and, and friends, but also with ourselves. Cause you know, I, to me, I think that the longest conversation that we have is a conversation with ourselves. Um, yeah. And um, it's an ongoing thing, right? Yes. It's, it's, it's always going, even in our dreams. <laughs> I agree. It's, it's incessant. It's ongoing. Uh, it's relentless. Um, and I think it's very important how we speak to ourselves and, you know, uh, and this is something that I've started imbibing more so in within the last one year and that is how i am addressing myself uh when i'm when i'm having a conversation with myself um you know because yeah. it it turns out and this is uh you know i'm not making this up this is this has been shown in various psychiatric models uh, or psychological models is that if you start addressing yourself as a third person you know not not trying to promote narcissism or anything like that but you know, it's and and again, this has been this is backed by evidence, and we've talked about evidence-based medicine. Uh, but you know, if you start having a conversation with yourself as a third person, you start forgiving yourself more. You start relying yourself. You start relying on yourself more, um, and you know, you start breaking boundaries more. You start challenging yourself more. Um, I, yeah. I don't know if you've if you've experienced that. I certainly have. Um, yeah. And, you know, yeah, I think I think that's that's absolutely true, and um, and that's that's you know that's one of the many ways that we can actually work on resilience, which is the how the changing the tone and the the voice in which we speak with ourselves. Yeah, I mean it's it's true. I mean you know just as just to cite an example, uh, you know for for the audience or for the listeners, I mean one thing which I would I would say to myself in in moments of um, you know, turmoil and, you know, emotional turmoil or just turmoil at work or, you know, uh, just feeling, um, you know, feeling the heat, so to say, um, you know, from colleagues or peers or, or, you know, from administration, uh, you know, I, I would simply say to myself, you know, I would have this dialogue or this conversation with myself and I would say, you know, Ankur is a champion and champions need challenges. You know, and that's what, that's what would make me keep going. Uh, you know, going forward. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I think if you sort of have that, if you sort of have that conversation with yourself as a third person, uh, you know, I, I think it, it makes a lot, at least, at least to me, it did, you know, it made a lot of difference to, to me. Um, so. Yeah, that's beautiful. I like that. I, you know, and more than anything, I am just um, astounded in a very, very wonderful way that we are, actually speaking about this as two cardiologists which almost never happens <laughs> yeah yeah no i mean i think you know the, the the reason why we you know we think these conversations are important you know obviously parallax uh, is is a podcast um on science and on all the 
uh, literature, which is published in U.S. Cardiology Review. But then we started having, you know, conversations on vegetarianism, conversations on, you know, medical portraits in in hallways, and, and conversations on diverse uh, diversity and inclusion. This is the last conversation I had with Madhav. You know, and we sort of started getting this feedback from our audience that you know we like these themes. We like you to um, delve more into these themes because nobody talks about these these concepts and these emotions and these these challenges which are non-scientific but very professional because this is something that we are going through or facing on a day-to-day basis uh, in our work lives. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, people like it. I mean, I like it and you like it because... This is the kind of thing that we crave and and we don't get it. You know, we uh, we it's kind of pushed away. This this very human stuff, the art of medicine, that the art of being human, I should say, not just medicine, that we all crave so much and which drives us on a moment to moment basis, is pushed away from how we practice medicine. As if it's two different, unrelated, non-interacting spheres. You know, and and that's why bringing this conversation back is so important. And I can't wait to talk more with you next time. Yeah, no, thank you for your time. Uh, you know, we've gone a little over time, but again, I think these conversations are are meant to be cathartic, and uh, you know, they're meant to be self-reflective. And you know, we we want to extract and excavate topics which are relevant uh, to to us as professionals and uh, you know are and you know the the hope is and the aspiration is that through these dialogue uh, dialogues and these conversations we are actually helping each other and helping the community at large in becoming more mindful more compassionate more involved and more engaged at work so you know thank yeah. you thank you for your time and you know we I will circle back and uh, you know I'll have you again on board for the next segment of these uh, mini series on, on, on burnout and resilience. So thank you once again, Kavita. It's, it's been my absolute honor and pleasure of having you. Thank you so much, Angkor. Um, it's, it's, it's always wonderful to talk with you and I'm looking forward to talking again. Great. Thanks. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. Dear cardiologists, we want to make this podcast about you and for you. So please email us your critical thoughts, comments and questions at podcast at radcliffe-group.com and visit uscjournal.com for more information. You can also follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram at Radcliffe Cardiology for daily updates. Join thousands of cardiologists and become a Radcliffian by registering to radcliffecardiology.com. You will receive regular newsletters and gain access to hundreds of expert interviews, educational webinars, clinical cases, and peer-reviewed articles from our six medical review journals on general cardiology, interventional cardiology, arrhythmia and electrophysiology, cardiac failure, and vascular and endovascular surgery. Thank you.